A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I am your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and this week on Unscrewed, we're doing what I feel like is kind of like a sequel to the Fun Famine episode we did in the beginning of the year that you all loved so much. We're going to talk with Sonali Rashatwar, who is the fat sex therapist, I'm told. We're going to like go deep on the politics of body image and fatness and all the things it intersects with and the way it affects our sex lives and our lives in general and all of that stuff. So uh, get in your feelings about your body image, whatever they are. Because we're going to be here for them. Just bring all those feelings to the table. We all have weird feelings about our bodies. And we're going to like muck around in it today. Uh, but first we have to welcome Sonali. Sonali, welcome to Unscrewed. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on the show. How are you? <laughs> I am doing well. I love this humid August weather we get in Philly. Deeply, deeply enjoy all the sunshine. Yes. And we should note, we are recording this in August and you are hearing it significantly later. So if you hear this talk about current eventsy things that sound out of date, that is why. Um, so Sonali, I totally want to get into it with you. But as you know, on Unscrewed, we start with the lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What has been making you the happiest this week? My cat and moving and going through a lot of my old books on my bookshelf and seeing how far my politics have evolved over the last like five to eight years. Oh, groovy. Mm -hmm. Wait, you said your cat is the first one, right? I did. <laughs> so is your cat hanging out while you're going through your bookshelves preparing for the move? I'm just trying to make a picture here. Oh, absolutely. Okay. He's in every nook and corner, inside every box. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Any good reads to recommend that you've rediscovered? Oh, rediscovered. Yeah. Um, I need to go back and comb through The Ethical Slut. Yes. And some new ones. Um, Virgie Tobar's book that just came out, You Have the Right to Remain Fat. I have not even put my hands on it yet. It is a great, great primer for fat phobia as like a mechanism within society and diet culture as a whole. Nice. All right. So what's the best sex advice you ever received? This might not sound like really awesome sex advice, but it was stop looking so uptight while you're having sex. <laughs> the person you're the person you're having sex with already can see how fat you are. Oh. You don't need to shrink 
and be smaller or look smaller or have less emotion on your face as a way to, to seem smaller in bed. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. Who told you that? I actually read it in an article that was about how to have sex while fat. What has been making you the maddest or saddest lately when it comes to the sexual culture? Aside from like current geopolitical <laughs> shit that just feels like you had said, a dumpster fire flooding in Kerala, India, that's happening right now, the fucking U.S. fascism uh, and spread of global fascism that's happening. Aside from those things, <laughs> I really hate how difficult it is to talk about fat phobia within mainstream sex positive spaces while constantly worrying that I'm like too biased. Like, oh, you're just talking about that because it benefits you. Yeah. And we need to talk, we'd be talking about it always. Do people say that to you or is that like the voice in your head? Or I both? think it's the voice in my head, but I do receive pushback in workshops that I do on body image. Really? Oh my God. That you're like too self-involved. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're going to put a pin in that and talk about it in okay. the main. Okay. Okay. That's making me mad and sad, but <laughs> I want to like dive deep into that. So we're going to finish the lightning round and come back to that. Okay. Okay. So... What is the biggest myth about sex that you used to believe and don't believe anymore? Ooh, that it should always involve penetrative sex. Yeah. Or that penetrative sex is like the pedestal. It's like the thing everyone should always be wanting to have and enjoying. Yeah. Which is total bullshit. How'd you learn that that oh, was bullshit? I went to school to receive a master's in education in human sexuality. <laughs> and I started working with clients who experienced pelvic pain. Mm. And for this large swath of individuals, penetrative sex is not accessible, not pleasurable. And it just does us all good if we are respectful of the many ways that queer folks are having non-penetrative sex as well. Or even we, straight folks. Yes, straight folks, queer folks, literally everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Last lightning round question is, who is one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture right now? Give somebody a shout out. I love this person who I'm going to name, who exists at the intersection of disability justice and sex positivity and sexual trauma and queer culture. And her name is Leah Lakshmi <gasps> Piepsana Samarasana. Oh, you know yes! her! Yes! She was in, we published her in the Yes Means Yes anthology almost oh, 10 years ago yes. now. And yep, yep, yep. yeah, I was on a panel with her early this year. With Ijeoma Lo and oh. Sonia Renee Taylor, the bodies. Oh my goodness, what a panel! Oh yeah, it was amazing. It was in Seattle. I was so intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What am I doing TBH, here?" I would be too. Oh my god. <laughs> it was amazing. Anyway, yes, Leah is amazing. Every workshop that I teach on body image, I have to acknowledge that a large part of my ideas are rooted from. The conversations that are being had in the disability justice circles by folks like Leah, folks like Mia Mingus, folks like Kay Wande Barrett. Brilliant disability scholars are talking about desirability and ableism and accessibility in ways that are just becoming more mainstream or just becoming more accessible, which is amazing. Amazing. Love it. Oh. All right. You survived the lightning round. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did very well. 
Uh, And now I want to come back around to this thing that you said about how when you're teaching body image workshops, you get pushback. Can you say more about like, what are you teaching when you get pushback specifically? And what does the pushback sound like? Oh, yeah. So what my most popular workshop in the last, I would say, year and a half has been a conversation on how race is a body image issue. And in the conversation, we expand our understanding of body image issues beyond things like eating disorders and body size into the ways that marginalized bodies are racialized and marginalized based on how they look and how these are also body image issues. And in the conversation, the number one place where I usually get pushback is in the second section when we talk about unlearning a lot of the ways that we unintentionally communicate our bias about the way that we value other bodies and our own body. And I usually skip this step where I say it's okay to be fat or it's, uh, it's healthy to be fat. And I go directly into talking about how diet culture teaches us that if we're not performing these like weight loss behaviors, then we're not healthy. Or if we're not prioritizing thinness and health, then we're not doing good things to our body, like we're actively causing ourselves harm, then we deserve the ire of society Mm. because we're not performing these behaviors Mm -hmm. that are performative and are not usually steeped in like our holistic health. But I usually get pushback from master's level social work students. These are people who are pursuing a degree to become someone's therapist. And they are the ones who are telling me things like, But I have this adopted daughter, and I really don't want her to eat an entire pint of ice cream in one sitting. And I don't want her to eat half of a cake in one sitting. And it's so difficult for me to communicate to somebody that you might be giving your child an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Because it's so difficult for them to accept this idea that it's totally fine to be fat. Being fat doesn't mean you're unhealthy or you're condemning yourself to a life of diabetes and whatever else. I mean, if I'm being really honest, mm-hmm. I still struggle with that. And I'm, I mean, most listeners have probably seen a picture of me, but I am a fat person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try, have been trying, working for years at deprogramming myself. But I, I hear you say that and I think, I mean, it's not the best thing for their kid to eat a <laughs> pint of ice cream. Like, isn't there a way to communicate that? You know, like I... I believe you, but mm-hmm. like on a mm-hmm. gut level, it's still there. It's scary, right? Because yeah. we want to think that we are even able to prevent disease. We want to think that we're even able to control our body size in these ways by not eating a, pint, a whole pint of ice cream and things like that. But in actuality, we don't have this kind of control over our bodies that mainstream society wants us to believe or diet culture has convinced us is true. The majority of the reason that our body operates the way it is is because of genetics. Mm. And if people have seen a photo of me, like, I'm super duper fat. And (laughs) a lot of people in my family look like my body size. And I say it really frankly in my workshops. I see my body size as this type of inheritance. It's a family heirloom. And I look like this because I'm supposed to. And the reason that if I've ever dropped weight but gained it back... It is because my body knows the size it's supposed to be. That's why it continues wanting to be at the size. Otherwise, it would have allowed me to change it if it wanted me to. I mean, I love that idea of my body as a family heirloom. I mean, that's mm. that's really beautiful. Right? Yeah. 
Makes me love it more. That's really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about that for a really long time. So when they give you that pushback, do they make it personal about you? They they make it about like you're fat and so you're just saying this stuff to make yourself feel better? Oh, God. You know, that's my worst fear. I'm reading Virgie Tobar's new book, You Have the Right to Remain Fat. The way that Virgie describes that fear of when you're a kid, like I grew up fat. And so I grew up with that constant fear of either someone is going to demonize you for being fat or you're going to be the demonizer. Like there's only one of two choices. And that is the fear that I walk into every workshop with, that someone is going to point out that I have so much skin in this game that I, I don't care. Like, Sonal, you have so much skin in this game that to me it's too biased and I can't buy into it because you're just promoting you're promoting a culture shift just to benefit yourself. And this is what actually Instagram trolls write in comments mm. on my on my photos a lot of times. It's similar comments like that, like, oh, you're just wanting to shift the culture so that you fit into it. And it's like, yes. Yes. I am. <laughs> because why the fuck not? Like Thank you for pointing out exactly the obvious. Like, as society exists today, you and I do not fit comfortably in an airplane seat or sometimes a chair at the doctor's office or sometimes a massage table. And these are like those discreet messages that are sent to me that my body was not thought of when these like commonplace items are designed. I love just sort of owning that as the answer to it. Because why Mm. shouldn't society be a place that we fit? Right? Right? Like that the assumption in that, that that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. That we're trying to change the culture so we fit in it. Like... (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it absurd? (laughs) Which is also not to mention that like everybody who benefits from whatever dominant culture we could talk about... The reason that it does fit some people is because people like them also got to create the culture to fit themselves. Yeah. Right? Like the reason we talk about straight cis white guys so much, right, is because (laughs) straight cis white guys have gotten the largest crack at creating Western Mm -hmm. culture and Mm -hmm. therefore have shaped it so that they are the people who fit the best. Mm -hmm. And then for them to say to us, like, oh, you just want to shape the culture so you fit in it. Like, I feel like an eight-year-old being like, well, you did it first. (laughs) So let me do it next. Let me have my turn. I saw somebody say this actually about um, civil rights or no, it was like political correctness. It was like, I know it by its proper name, which is learning how to share. (laughs) Yeah. It's so simple. Yeah. Really just learning how to fucking share so yeah so you have that inside you and you know the answers to it and both are true yeah that fear and that thing gnaws at you and also you know i mean i have so many things like that where like you have that lump in your stomach you have it still lodged in you emotionally but you can at least talk to it from your brain place yeah and be like well here's why because I'm so worried about this pushback, I have to put a lot of the impetus on, on the urgency of this issue of fat phobia into my workshop slides. And so I have to write about how if we want to prevent eating disorders, especially in folks as young as age seven, because we're seeing that dieting is happening 
in children here in the U.S. before even age seven. If we're going to prevent eating disorders, then we have to make it okay to be fat. Yeah. And Virgie writes about this, I'm sorry, again, in her book. (laughs) But we only see eating disorders exist in places where thinness is priority and where it's not okay to be fat. Really? Eating disorders, yeah. Eating disorders do not exist where it is okay to be fat. Wow. And there are I've never thought about that before. Same. It blew my mind. I never even mind. thought to ask that question. Same. There are other places in the world where women are trying to be as fat as possible. And that's like a beauty ideal. And are there and, eating disorders mm-hmm. like in the other direction? No. Interesting. Fascinating, it's right? Just where thinness. I mean, the thing that really gets me about thinness and smallness as a beauty ideal specifically for women is just like it's so much it just tells you so much about how the culture conceives of women which is that like we should be as small as possible we should take up as little space as possible we should exist as little as possible it's it feels like it's across the board that's exactly what we're being told right yeah we're being told that in a bedroom in a home in a workplace And even in our bodies, like literally everywhere, take up as little space as possible. If you're in a board meeting, shut up. Don't be giving ideas out and talking. In a bedroom, don't be having your belly sticking out and all these absurd things. But also like don't have your own desires, right? You can only be responsive to some male partner's desire. Don't advocate for yourself. Don't speak up for yourself. Don't Mm -hmm. have boundaries. Don't say no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't exist. Cease to exist, basically. Cease to – I really feel like anti-fat bias is about not wanting women to exist. And I know that men also experience anti-fat bias, but it feels really gendered to me. I actually have a gripe about that because maybe in its original creation, it was targeted towards cis women. But across the board, we see it existing in all genders, but – almost like in huge I can't give you a percentage because I don't want it to be wrong but like more than 80 percent of folks who are transitioning we're especially folks who might be transitioning into some kind of transmasculine gender are showing up with signs of eating disorders interesting what do you think that's about well I read an article that was posted on HuffPo by someone who is transitioning into a body that feels more transmasculine and Forgive me, I don't know which pronouns they're using, so I'm going to use they. What they had described was that while they were moving through the world in this feminine presenting body, the body never felt right. They were like, this not is not my body. I don't, I don't really care what it looks like, how it jiggles, and what it looks like to other people, because I know that it's not my right body. And so when they were adjusting their body to feel more aligned in their gender, they found themselves thinking toward the, this body ideal, like, what feels really masculine to me and to this to, exactly into this person they were thinking well I really want to look like this lanky nerdy kid and that was my ideal and every time my fat would jiggle I wouldn't feel like the lanky boy that I am inside and that is a really interesting thing about fat is that it has this queering effect on our bodies fat on a feminine body can masculinize it And fat on a masculine body can feminize it. And fat on a non-binary body can, like, neutralize that neutral effect. Well, I mean, in some part, it's because 
fat is seen as anti-sexy for everyone. And so it desexes all of us and in a way that also like desexualizes, although I don't mean sexualize in the objectifying way, in a way that interacts with our gender. Is that absolutely? Yeah, that's how it looks to me anyway. Yeah, fat absolutely messes with my gender in ways that I appreciate. Oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, so I identify as non-binary. I feel masculine in a lot of ways. I feel also because of my fat. And I only am treated as acceptably feminine when I am super high femme presenting. So I'm talking about like fake lashes, bronzer on my cheekbones, um, wearing a dress. I've got rings on my fingers, nails are painted, toes are painted, and I've got like an adorable femi outfit. And I love looking like that, but I also feel obligated to look like that, especially when I'm moving through airports or presenting a workshop that's where they're paying me a lot of money to be doing that. And part of my gender identity feels influenced by the way that I grew up too. When I think about like growing up in my Indian family, being the oldest queered with my gender too. So like I was given a lot of responsibilities that a son would be given in an Indian family. And I wasn't told that I was delicate or fragile or frail like my younger sister was. And she is a lot thinner than me. And this, I'm not saying this as a contentious thing. I love her more than oxygen. (laughs) And my understanding of gender is influenced by the ways that I was taught to provide for my younger siblings and my family. The job opportunities that I was given at my dad's company felt really masculine. Like I was a technician driving around the state and doing environmental testing in people's homes and digging up soil and testing well water and climbing people's attics and taking asbestos samples from piping and it felt like really good work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I have to be honest, I relate mm-hmm. to my gender really differently. Oh, tell me. I've always, since I understood the, the idea, I've always identified as femme. It's pretty solid, non-changeable feeling orientation for me. And I experience 
things like being strong, being loud, you know, refinishing a table or like things that you are identifying as feeling masculine to you mm-hmm. as queering femme to me, like as forcing open the doors of what femme can be. Femme for me, like I relish that shit and being and feeling as femme as can be while I do them. And it doesn't impact my idea of my gender at all. And neither does has fatness. Fatness has never made me feel less femme. In fact, you know, I have these huge tits, which I enjoy displaying my cleavage sometimes <laughs> and a very round, curvy ass. And I like putting really femme clothes and outfits and stuff on. So I'm really interested to hear about that. My gender has always felt more fixed, which like my basic feeling is like some people have fluid experience of gender and some people don't. And I don't know why that is, but it's fine either way. But yeah, all those things that you're describing as as sort of more masculine experiences for you, I fit as sort of being transgressively femme. That makes perfect sense to me. The reason that I came around to identifying those as ways that I access my more BEM identity. And I say BEM, which is like a fusion between butch and femme, because why the fuck not? Why can't we have both? Sure. (laughs) I was in grad school and in learning how to become a sex therapist and learning how to become a social worker, we have to write dozens upon dozens of papers interrogating the reasons why we think the things we think and analyzing the way that we understand ourselves and our families. And we had to dig through a lot of our like unearthed, unexcavated shit. And in one of these courses, we had done an activity, which can be considered super transphobic. But I'm going to tell you what it was because it was very insightful for me. In this activity, all of the students in the class got pink and blue stickers, like little circle dot stickers. And what we had to do was move around the room And based on the person that we were looking at, which was another student, we would have to put on whether we saw them more as a pink person, like a feminine person, a blue as a more masculine person, or maybe a a mix of both. So you put like one of each sticker on that person's back. So the student wouldn't be seeing what the sticker was. Oh my God, I super hate this exercise. So it's it's like, it's super, super bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's making my skin (laughs) crawl. I'm so sorry. I just like basically feel like, fuck you. I don't care what you see me as. Like, (laughs) So you are right. You are absolutely right. (laughs) That is one thing that should come up. A thought that came up really strong for me, which was before anyone could look at what stickers they got, you had to sit and talk about it and write about it for a couple of minutes. And I was like shocked by how strongly I was hoping I would get a lot of blue stickers on my back. I was aghast because I, like you, had so strongly identified all of my qualities as femme. And I, like you, have always thought of how can I expand and break down the door of what traditionally femme has been considered. And I was like a diehard feminist, diehard. I will not pander to patriarchy. I will not coddle white fragility. And I was like wanting to identify more masculine which was fascinating to me. So then I had to unpack, like, what does masculinity mean to me? What are all the characteristics that I'm identifying as masculine? And why am I correlating them with masculinity? And I don't have a whole lot of, like, depth answers for you. This was, like, a conversation I was having 
like probably four years ago. Regardless, it opened up a lot of my eyes about what I think of myself. And if I'm being honest, the fluid feelings about gender that I have about myself. That's fascinating. Yeah, I would be Mm -hmm. wanting all pink stickers and like (laughs) would be very like fuck you about it (laughs) it's funny and I mean I think gender is honestly one of the hardest things to talk about in general because it is so like what is inherently masculine and what is inherently what is any like the the terms are just so fucking contested (laughs) we never know what we're saying to each other when we're talking about it so I love being like really frank and just sort of like breaking it down with each other Um, And I don't think anybody's got like a lock on any of those definitions, just like where Mm -hmm. you land on it. How has being fat and more specifically being fat and Indian affected your sex life? Oh, God. Well, I say that because there are some requirements in being an Indian daughter. (laughs) And some of them... (laughs) You might might have heard of I've heard rumors to that effect. (laughs) Some of these requirements include marrying an Indian man and having Indian babies and continuing on the traditional Indian, and in my case, Hindu family values, which are like really generic, like, you know, do no harm. And it's okay to tell a lie if you're going to spare someone's feelings and be kind to people, you know, good stuff. So in I, I say all that because Indian men do not date fat women (laughs) they they just don't and in my experience in my narrow northeastern new jersey u.s experience i have had indian men want to fuck me want to date me while they were married to a thin indian Mm. woman want to take me on secret mistress dates want to you send me an Uber out to their hotel room. Lots of elaborate schemes to like still maintain this ideal of I'm marrying a thin Indian woman, but I will get my rocks off in ways that are accessible to me. But just still this like non-acceptance into mm-hmm. mainstream Indian radical imaginary, radical features. I don't know. The ideal, what the ideal Indian family might look like. I'm I'm denied access to that. I'm denied entry. Like at family parties, people like won't, sometimes they won't even look at me or like they won't talk to me. It's almost like if they come too close, like I have an infection. Like it's catching. Yes. Like my fatness is going to rub off on somebody and but, then they're going to balloon up. But also like you're Willy saying Wonka. that your, your body shape and size is not unfamiliar in your family. It sure isn't, but it's still maligned. Like my family is super fat phobic because of how fat we are. <laughs> oh, God. So oh. I, I wrote this post in on Instagram a couple of months ago, and I still reflect on it because I have really complicated feelings about it. So I wrote this post that says something like, my immigrant parents responded to the racism they, they experienced with fat phobia. So... What my parents taught me is that if I am thin enough, then I might experience less racism. So it's like a respectability politics. Exactly. Mm. So like if you fall within the narrow confines of what normal is, they might treat you with respect too, which we understand, of course, is a game because then there might just be pick another thing that becomes unrespectable. And then you got to dance 
some more and tap dance back into the narrow confines of respectability. But a friend of mine who is like this gorgeous fashion model in New York, her name is Ushi Rahman. She posted actually on that, on that post and was like, she commented something like fat phobia, especially in Asian families is a lot more about, especially against daughters is a lot more about obedience and that really fucked me up. I mean, that feels like a little bit like Naomi Wolf, right? Like obedience, gender, dieting. Like we get, we hear a lot of those ideas from her. But Asian culture is so different, and the way that child rearing happens in Indian families is super different compared to like American families. I still have to ask my parents, like, hey, this apartment I'm living into, I'm 30 years old. This is cool, right? Like, you're gonna come and bless it, right? When I move in, and like, wow. Yeah. And like when uh, there are lots of like norms involved with, I don't like to use the term, but it's like elder worship, where we like respect elders in ways that feels almost like worship. Mm. I hate to word it like that, because I do feel bad. I feel guilty saying it even like in this (laughs) derogatory way. (laughs) Elder worship. But it's like a it's a respect thing. Like, yeah, hey, this is a decision I'm making. Just going to clue you in. This is what's happening. That's it. But your parents would prefer you not be fat. Oh, prefer is not even the word. And it it actually like deeply pains me to recount the story. But like the treatment I was getting from my parents and like the treatment from my dad, especially he and I have this like horrible contentious relationship, which is very common with a lot of elder daughters and their fathers. I'm learning, especially in Indian families. In like 2012, the treatment I was getting from my parents, parents especially my dad was so good because they had finally convinced me to go and do and have weight loss surgery and thank god I, I didn't do it but they were ready to like put me under the knife where oh one in 200 people who have the surgery die on the table yeah and who knows what my life would have looked like who knows because I work with many clients I'm um I'm a sex therapist. My nine to five work is in sexual trauma counseling. So I work with individuals across the spectrum in community mental health who come in for these like free community services for sexual health counseling if they've ever experienced sexual trauma. And I work with many people who've had this surgery and the host of problems that they experience, Mm -hmm. even five to 10 years out, involve severe malnutrition, losing their teeth, losing their hair, having skin issues across the board. I have never met a person who was like a successful outcome of weight loss surgery. Wow. It's horrifying. And so for your parents to say, we're, we would prefer you risk all of that. Oh, they were ready to like buy me a car, buy me a house, go out and do this. We'll take you on vacation. Your life is going to be so much better. And I've actually gained weight since then. And my dad won't even look me in the face sometimes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That makes me very angry. Me too. (sighs) I've kind of argued my mom to a truce where, like, she just (laughs) knows that (sighs) I don't want her to comment on my body. And I know that she wants to comment on my body. Mm-hmm. that's where me and my mom exist too on um, that truce line with you and your mom just like 
Let let's me take not it as that. given that you wish I looked different and mm-hmm. sh- let's shut up about it because nothing good yeah. is happening down that road. No, I know what you wish. It cannot happen. Let's not talk about it. Yeah. Um, we're she's running short on time, but I want to okay. ask you, what do you think of the body positivity movement? Oh, hot topic. Um, Oh, yeah, it's so hot. So body positivity is awesome. It's becoming really popular, which I love. Uh, what I don't love <laughs> is that it's kind of replicating the systems that it was intending to eliminate. Mm-hmm. So thin, white, conventionally attracted cishet women actually get to dominate the conversation when it is about body positivity now. And it kind of erases like the communities that really need it the most the communities who created it which is like women of color non-binary trans of color folks disabled folks super duper fat folks literally anybody who is marginalized on the basis of their body so like undocumented folks sex workers trans women also i feel like it's used as a cudgel almost like if people don't feel fully positive about their bodies i feel a little bit about it like the way i feel about the phrase sex positivity which is that yeah it's really alienating to some people who just aren't ever gonna gonna get there and maybe don't even want to get there like for some people sex doesn't hasn't been a particularly positive experience or it's been really complicated and i think similarly making body positivity the intrinsic goal for everybody is hurting people because some people like just want to feel body neutral which is a phrase that i've started to hear that i like a lot like what if you want just want to strive for body neutrality right like where you're just like not judging yourself and for you know like i i'm not talking about like a one-size-fits-all solution for anybody like if people want to strive for Mm -hmm. feeling super positive about their bodies like i'm all for that and like i often want to learn from it depending on who and how but um I just feel like the idea that body positivity is this performative goal, both I totally agree with the way that it's been co-opted and is actually using to replicate marginalization of people whose bodies are not treated as positive culturally, but also like for everybody, like I just feel like body positivity is, is being sold as like this one size fits all solution that erases a lot of people's yeah. Not just experience, but desires. And their realities. Yeah, and realities. like, And that's a conversation about access. If I am so depressed because I am poor and my boss treats me like shit and this is the most I can make per hour, there's only like a certain limit to how, how much positivity I can actually achieve. Yeah. Sometimes when there's like systemic reasons on why I just feel like shit. There's a whole host of reasons probably. And so, yeah, I definitely can relate. I have bad body image days where I'm like, positivity just feels fake, like performance. But I am one of those people who generally, positivity, I I yearn for it. I like, it fuels me. It helps me feel grounded and adjusted and directed. Like, I feel like I have a direction. I feel like I have a direction to grow in. And that, that feels good to me. But I also can relate that it is not always going to feel like that for everybody. And, and that I don't doesn't mean f- that we have to call it that. And I don't want to feel like I'm failing on the days that I don't feel positive about my body. Exactly right. I don't want to feel like I'm fucking up or not living up or like not living my best life or, you know, like. 
Instagram is such a mind fuck in some. It Thank is. you for coming to my TED talk. Um <laughs> <laughs> It is. Like I gotta take breaks sometimes because it's like if I'm not having a, a set a couple good days, especially before my period, sometimes I'm just like, why do I go on like this? Yeah. I I'm telling a lie. I don't feel like this about my body right now. But it's like we actually can't feel positive all the time. Like our feelings are supposed to wax and wane just like, you know, waves in an ocean and feelings are supposed to be temporary, even the positive ones, especially the sad ones. And we can't expect to be positive all the time. Well, I feel positive about you coming on my show. (laughs) I do, too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) Where can people follow your stuff online? I've got a website. So if I've said anything that really offended you, I would love to know that. Um, my website is <laughs> www.sonalir.com. I'm also really easily findable on Instagram as the fat sex therapist. The fat sex therapist. I don't think I'm, as we're recording, following you on Instagram. I need to fix that. We are going to fix that immediately. Yeah, we're going to fix that immediately. <laughs> I need more good shit in my Instagram feed for sure. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Jacqueline F, J-A-C-L-Y-N-F, and on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable. And on my website at JacquelineFriedman.com, that's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N.com, where you can find out about upcoming events and figure out how to bring me to your community and see things I've written and order like signed autographed copies of my books to wherever you are. All that good stuff is on my website. If you like the show, first of all, make sure you are subscribed. Whatever way you're listening right now, go in and press the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. Uh, And while you're in there, you know, give us five stars. Give us a little one or two sentence review. It really helps people find the show. It makes a big difference. You can also just tell people about us on social media, person to person, whatever. Say, hey, I listened to this podcast. It's called Unscrewed and you really might dig it. Um, That is how we find new listeners. Unscrewed is produced by yours truly Jacqueline Friedman and edited by Natalia Rodriguez the amazing our in and out music is by the pink tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was developed in collaboration with the establishment who also developed the sound cues until next week I'm wishing you all safe and happy sex lives Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.